standing up in McKinney. This is According to Callus, coming to you on the day of leap year. That's right. It is the 29th of February, the year of our Lord, 2024, episode 593. And today we're going to talk about a book. That's right. Time to do another book. The book is Tactics. It's a guide for effectively discussing your Christian convictions. Now, this is what I want you to remember. You can use this for anything. So follow along and you can join me here in just a minute. Before we get to the book or the subject of the day, let me remind you the best way you can continue to help me make a difference, to be heard, to get things done, to grow the show is to like, share, and subscribe to this podcast. Follow me on your social media of choice or your podcatcher of choice. The liking and the subscribing pushes those numbers up. It makes a difference to the algorithm. The algorithm is not my friend, nor quite frankly, anybody that's right of center. And to be fair, it's theirs. They can do what they want, but we're here to put out a show, to give alternate views, to give you something else to think about. One of the primary purposes of this show is to tell you what I'm thinking, what I'm seeing, and what I th- what I want you to take away from it, right? It's a, it's a one-way conversation. It's a continuous monologue of the things that are going on, and it's according to me. It's based upon what I see, what I know, what I think, and my understanding. And you can feel free to disagree with me. You can feel free to say, I got that one wrong. You can feel free to correct me. There's a phone number and email. There's multiple ways to text me and or communicate via social media. Please do give me an intelligent conversation. Give me a critique. I'm all ears when it comes to that. I want to know what people think, what they're seeing. That being said, I do join in over at the social media. I have a page and a group over at Facebook. I have visits over at Gab and MeWe. And yes, for the time being, I am still up on YouTube. With that, here we go on with the show. So the book Tactics is written by Mr. Gregory Kukul. Kukul. It's K-O-U-K-L. The new expanded revised edition here. Uh, Let's see. What year shall I credit this to? Probably should have looked this up before I started. (laughs) Oh, well, it's the study guide expanded 2020. Okay, so it's it's new. All right, and it's broken down for a, it's a study, if you will. You can do a better job of communicating to people. But what it's really good about is learning how to communicate and to communicate well so that you are hearing the people you're speaking to and they get an opportunity to consider what it is they think and what they believe in context of everything else go around them. So now let me put a little pause and insert this here for you. I have found myself becoming the voice of reason in a great number of things that I partake in, which is humorous, but always been the case, right? I haven't so much changed. I've I've been a little bit more careful how I present things. I've been a little less boisterous in some of the things that I hold dear to me, but on the whole... I don't want to burn the place down and I don't want to throw the baby out with the bathwater. So I find myself pushing back and holding the line a lot of times in real life 
then I wouldn't necessarily be thought of as that person, which is kind of funny. So when you hold to values, when you hold to beliefs like mine, and I'm probably Mr. Uber, Uber Liberty in 90% of social settings, it's very easy to be painted as the crazy guy. It's very easy to be pushed into a situation where you look like you're the odd one. But as it comes now, and as we've found now, I can still hold those values, but caution and tamp down people overreacting and responding in a way that's less than helpful. One of the things that I've picked up when I, when I was going through this book is the idea that when you're communicating, you don't want to be seen as the enemy and you don't want to cut off that communication. You want to have a conversation, a dialogue. My show is all about a monologue. I guess I should say I've transitioned back into talking about the book. So he talks about a number of different tactics. The one that is the biggest is the Columbo tactic, right? It's the first one. The idea that you're asking questions and you're always asking questions and they need to be logical follow-up questions and you're not necessarily looking to win the argument but to get at what the real issue is, to get at what's driving this, right? That that's that, Again, that's the way I've interpreted it. That's the way I've, I've brought it into my being. And this is under the context, this book, about communicating the truth about Christianity with confidence and grace. Well, I have confidence. I'm working on the grace. But when you're dealing in the political realm, if you don't understand what the other person thinks, what they want, and you're, you're constantly fighting, you're not going to have that dialogue. You're not going to have that question. Now, for instance, yesterday's episode, right, 592, I was quite animated, and I'm trying to prove a point. I was kind of drawing it as far as I could without crossing the series of lines. I do that from time to time because it's useful and appropriate within the context of my program. But when I'm talking to somebody in IRL in real life, I want to be as respectful as possible. I want to treat them as an equal. I want to be fair, even handed and open minded. Now that's not always possible in certain situations. And you do have to become, let's say a little more aggressive or forceful when addressing things. But on the whole, when you're face-to-face or in a small group, you have to be willing to hear people out. And some of the ways that they know that you're hearing them is you ask those questions. We used to call this active listening. When you're asking the questions, when you're using the questions for what they've said to correctly understand what it is they're communicating, you can force them, maybe force is the wrong word, you can cause them to question whether that's really what they want to say or what they really believe. It puts them in a position to where they're going to naturally question what it is they're trying to communicate. I think that's very good. I think it's useful and I like it when I hear it and see it being done. If you're not willing to talk and listen, if you're not willing to ask questions to clarify what the other person's saying, you're not going to have an appropriate dialogue. Now, my wife likes to say, but Steve and I have a clarifying question. Boy, you want to talk about throwing cold water on a conversation. (laughs) But she's right. 
I mean, there are times that I make an assumption that she knows what I'm talking about, or I make an assumption that she agrees or is coming from the same standpoint that I am. And I don't take the time to give all the details. And if I can do it to my own wife, I'm certainly going to be guilty of it in a public conversation. So if I'm guilty of it, I know darn good and well, other people are going to be doing this. So by using that Colombo method, by talking to people and asking their questions, you're giving them an opportunity to better think out what it is they're trying to say, but also giving you an opportunity to understand that. The one after that is what they call the suicide tactic. That's where if somebody makes a statement that's self-refuting, you need to carefully point that out to them, right? Whenever, I, I guess the best way that I would explain it is if it's an absolute definitive statement and you have an obvious or a number of obvious exceptions or violations of that statement, you need to find a way to bring that across to the person that holds that belief or that understanding so that they can come to that conclusion. Well, okay, maybe that's not the case. So we often talk about, or I have often talked about the idea that when you make rules, you're making rules based on the majority, right? The general idea. Yes, we accept that there might be those exceptions to the rules, but the rules still exist. You know, the whole idea of I before after E or I before E except after C. And then there's a couple other little exceptions, right? So you have a general rule with exceptions. It doesn't mean that that general rule is always the case, but it's generally the case. It's understood that that's often the way things are. And if you can start there, that puts you in a better place. So if somebody gives you something that self-refutes itself, something that self-destructs, it commits suicide, you want to be careful how you explain that. You want to be careful on pointing that out so you don't turn off that conversation. But it's also important that you show them kindness and grace when you're doing that because you want them to walk away understanding that, well, what I thought or how I communicated that is clearly not right or clearly not working. I need to reevaluate what do I think or what am I trying to communicate here. The next one was the taking the roof off. Now, they call it this because you're going to take their argument, take their conclusion, and you're going to draw it even further to the level of absurdity. You're, you're going to just draw it so far out that, of course, no, that doesn't work that way. Now, he's got a couple other tactics in here. I'm not going to necessarily use those. I would encourage you to go buy the book. I think I paid less than 10 bucks. There, there are videos that go along with this. I thought it was very useless. But when you're, but we're going to spend a little bit of time talking about the taking the roof off or drawing things to its logical conclusion. And, and I want to be careful how I applaud this because I realize it's a touchy situation. So, again, as I've matured and I've become more of the voice of reason in my circles, it wasn't necessarily my choice. It's circumstance. It's, I haven't really so much changed. It's I have a little more caution or a little bit more finesse when making my arguments. So we're going to say, 
or we're going to start with the obvious thing that everybody right of center or the vast majority of people right of center agree that murdering a baby in the uterus while mother's still carrying a baby, that's that's murder. That's a bad thing. We're not good with that. Now, there are people that are going to say, well, okay, fine. That's, we're going to say that, but we're going to, we want to add the exclusions of rape and incest. Okay. For the purposes of this discussion, we're going to accept that. We're, we're going to say that the less than 2% of the murder of babies is as a result of that. We're going to set aside the idea that you're punishing the innocent creation out of that terrible situation, but we're going to, we're going to pretend that doesn't exist for the purpose of this conversation, right? So now we're just dealing with the fact that there are people that have unwanted pregnancies and they could choose to keep them to, to delivery and put them up for adoption or hand them off to another member of the family or, or various other solutions that were commonly practiced in days gone by. But if you're going to then go and say, we think they should be illegal and the government should be empowered to prevent the murder of unborn children. Now this is where it comes the problem, right? Because if you're going to draw this to its conclusion, right? The fullest logical conclusion, the absurdity of it, we have to talk about this. And I've touched about this or touched on this issue in the past. And as I said, this is the only compelling argument that I ever heard to take me off the idea that no abortion should always be illegal and should be prevented. So let me, let me recap this. Um, you have a young lady who gets pregnant. No crime was committed in her getting pregnant. She's pregnant. She doesn't want to have a baby. So as the state, as the authority, obviously we, would, we don't want people just going and disposing of their children before they're born. But at what point do we stop? I mean, if we just say it's illegal, in other words, we're not going to allow you to practice this easel, easily. I mean, we could say that you're not allowed to practice medicine if you do this. We could say you we're not going to pay for these procedures. In other words, it becomes a cash job somewhere. But at what level of enforcement do we now come in? I mean, if we're going to draw this to its logical conclusion, are we going to start following every woman that might possibly be pregnant? Are we going to monitor every woman for their time of the month to maintain whether or not or whether or not they are currently pregnant? Do we just uh, conclude that following once they've reached the time in life when they can no longer have children, right? Menopause hits, can't have children anymore. Do we quit monitoring? There are medical miracles here. Then how do we deal with the fact that when you have in vitro fertilization, they may put in as many as seven embryos. Do you treat them as their unborn children before they're implanted? I mean, that's what the state of Alabama is done right now, right? So you can't dispose of them, the extras, if you will. But if they're not implanted, they have no chance of becoming fully formed humans, right? Where's the stop? Where is the line here? Where do we determine? These are all good and fair and valid questions, but just focusing on the idea of, okay, so now you have a woman, she's pregnant, but if say she goes to travel out of, out of state for business 
or for pleasure, and she comes back and suffered a miscarriage? Do we then investigate that? Do we then charge her for going out of state in order to have an abortion? But we don't know that's what happened, but how are we going to prove it? Do we need to investigate that? I mean, there's a lot of questions in this. How does this get enforced? Or, or worse yet, if a woman gets pregnant, do you disallow her to travel now? Do you start investigating every miscarriage, reported or unreported? Because once a woman is classified as pregnant, now she's carrying a baby, which we want to protect as another human. But how, at what length and at what, <laughs> wow, and how in what way would we go to prevent the loss of that baby? And what's appropriate? And where's the line? Do we know? I don't want a police state. I've said this many, many times. I stand by this. In fact, this is the one argument that ever moved me off of abortion's always wrong all the time and should never be tolerated to, well, yeah, okay, that's true. And in theory, I, I don't want the state sponsoring. I certainly don't want the state, you know, patting people on the back saying it's a good thing. And I certainly don't want the state paying for it. But short of that, is there something we can do here? I mean, could we just say it's, you know, a procedure that is illegal. So if a doctor pr provides that procedure, they're potentially subject to criminal um, prosecution. Should we say that you can't be paid for it? Because if you accept payment for it, you're now in violation. Could we say that if you should travel and you go see a doctor out of state where one's going to preclude that we're doing that? Could we say that, well, we're not going to prosecute you for doing this, but we're going to banish you to another state. I mean, expulsion and being kicked out are far worse than being put in. Actually, it's not far worse. <laughs> they are far less damaging than being put in prison. The, the cost of prosecution alone, right? I'm not excited about the idea because people do lose their babies naturally. Women do have situations where they just can't have a baby. And if, if they should have a number of, let's call them spontaneous abortions, which would be a miscarriage, are we going to start investigating each one of these? I mean, it's already difficult enough for a potential mother, for a young lady who gets pregnant to lose her baby. I'm not sure I'm comfortable with a criminal investigation in that. And while it sounds great and good that we want to outlaw this and this is criminal behavior and killing babies is always wrong. How do we determine that? At what length are we going to go to determine whether or not it was criminal or not criminal? I mean, to me, this very same tactic in drawing things to its furthest, most illogical conclusion, if you will, or the most obscure or crazy outcome was very effective. So when I look at what's gone on in the last several years, since we've removed the terrible court opinion of Roe, and now we've put it back to the states, and the states have had 50 years of indoctrination that killing babies is a good thing, we shouldn't be surprised that there's a whole lot of people out there that want to protect the ability to go kill your baby. But in the states that don't want to do that, are we doing anybody any favors by saying that 
fertilized eggs that are frozen should be treated the same as an implanted embryo, which should be treated the same as a fully formed baby. I don't know. This is a deep moral and ethical issue that needs to be sorted out. And quite frankly, I don't know that I trust some lawyers or some judges to make this determination. It would seem to me this would be an appropriate time that you would have these ethics panels come together from, I don't know, a group of pastors, perhaps even a couple of bishops, and they come down and ferret these ideas out and see what's the best position. And then when you throw in the legal angle here, at what point do you decide, well, this is a prosecutable offense and this is just a a necessary evil that we have to tolerate for what's best for society. I, I don't like the idea potentially of policing women 24 seven or checking them every month to make sure that they're not pregnant. I mean, this is a possible probable outcome depending on how crazy some of these laws go. I mean, we went from one terrible situation, which is you can kill your baby anytime you want and it can be as simple as taking a pill or we'll just, you know, slide a vacuum up after we've cut the head open and suck out the body parts. I mean, these are all disgusting, terrible things that were tolerated and accepted as normal by a large part of our society. And now that we've ended that as a federal guarantee, we have to deal with the messy situation that's been left behind. So this idea of using tactics, right? Taking the roof off, if you will, drawing things to their crazy logical conclusions I mean, you can see how this can work very effectively just by the fact that, yeah, you don't have to like this argument. You don't have to like this discussion. You don't have to be comfortable with it. I'm certainly not. But if you can do that to something that I held very dear and I believe is still the case, but it gives me a lot of questions that I don't have good answers for. Now, I imagine maybe there's a, you know, some good Catholic priests in history or recently that have come up with good arguments because they have this thing called the whole life ethic, right? I don't necessarily agree with all that's involved with that, but they're trying to be consistent. Of course, they don't believe you should execute guilty people either, where I wholeheartedly disagree with that with the only proviso being, I'm not certain that our justice system is actually just and accurate. So for that reason alone, I'm not real keen on executing people because I don't have an absolute certainty that they are in fact guilty. And it's only going to get crazier going forward because with AI and deep fakes, we don't actually know that we can trust what we're seeing at times. It's very uncertain world that we find ourselves in but we know right from wrong we know evil and good right we should know these things but there are a lot of areas that define what is right and what's wrong what is good and what is evil and they and there's a scalpel blade needed to separate them and determine it's very simple to say things are gray and they're not entirely clear and i believe there are things that are quote unquote gray, but on something like this, whatever gray is there might be dark charcoal. That's a millimeter thick, but it could be there. We, we have to allow for the fact that there are messy things. It's not as simple as we would like. It's not, 
a kindergarten level of understanding here. There are a whole lot of deeper things going on. One of the things about the tactics book that I appreciate is it's an idea or the thought behind it is you have to get people willing to talk. You have to be willing people to have a conversation. And part of doing that is being willing to listen and being willing to listen helps you learn to communicate better and helps you let you process their ideas and their concerns and hopefully come up with an answer that can be communicated back to them and get you both to a point where you have an understanding of each other and you can better understand where we're going, where things are going, what they mean, how they matter. So you can take a messy issue like, I don't know, killing your baby in the womb and say, yeah, look, there are not good answers for everything here, but we know right from wrong. We know terminating a life is not a good thing. We shouldn't celebrate it. But we also know that there are things that don't fall into that neat definitive understanding that we have right now. And we need to take time and energy and effort to determine what is the appropriate cause and course that we're taking here. It's a challenge to do that. It requires effort. It requires education and thought and concern. And we have to be honest with each other. Now, I'm certain that the author of Tactics, you know, probably has his own thoughts on the discussion I've just given you in the last 20 minutes or so. But none of that is possible if you're not willing to listen, if you're not willing to have a conversation, if you're not willing to learn to effectively discuss different ideas. The book gives you an understanding of these you know, four or five tactics that you can deploy and utilize in order to have a better conversation, in order to have a better understanding. It's well worth your time. You should go look it up. You should invest a little bit of money, if for no other reason, to learn to have a better conversation. I know that there are certain people that will never, ever agree to change their mind. They will never willingly admit that they're wrong. But if you're not willing to have a discussion, if you're not willing to be willing to invest the time with a relationship, you're never, ever going to understand the deeper meaning that's going on underlying some of the positions that people hold. And I, I can tell you firsthand that I can speak forcefully and I can speak aggressively in defense of liberty and in promoting certain things when I'm in public, when I'm on the stage or when I'm on a microphone. But in real life, IRL, sitting down face-to-face or within a small group, I use some of these tactics. I want to be able to better understand. I want to be able to better communicate. I want for people, one, to not see me as their enemy, although I am the enemy of some people, clearly. You know, (laughs) there's a whole lot of isms out there. But people that are on my team, people that largely agree with me, I want for them to understand that, look, we're not enemies when we're on the same team that just because that person there has a different way of looking at something or a different way of understanding something doesn't mean that they're necessarily wrong. Have you considered and have you looked into the way they're approaching that? You know, they call this standpoint, you know, there's something to be said about that. Just because somebody has a different standpoint or a different understanding doesn't automatically mean that it's wrong. It doesn't automatically mean it should be dismissed. It just means when you're considering it, 
you have to give some thought as to, is there a valid objection here? Is there a valid lack of understanding? Is there a valid adjustment that needs to be accounted for because of the situation? You know, you don't, we don't want to go into situational ethics. We don't want to go into standpoint episiology. Wow, I can't, that, that word just went away. But we have to understand that when you're talking to somebody that comes from an entirely different worldview than you, you're not going to always be on that same page. You're looking to get to at least the same book, perhaps the same chapter in a conversation. And then maybe later on you get on that same page or the same sentence or even a paragraph or whatever. You have to work your way to a common understanding of things. And I think this book is very good at getting you there. Now, I will uh, put a picture of the book up. I, I encourage you, take the time, go read it, take away from it what you can and understand that even someone like myself, IRL in real life, I want to understand where other people are coming from. I want to be able to have a good conversation and I want to remain respectful when doing that. And this book is helpful in getting you there. And with that, this has been According to Cal's. We're going to cut it just a tad short today. And I will see you on the other side.